and making a difference every day. Welcome to the Animal Care and Welfare Podcast, iBuzz, where we combine the science and practice of animal welfare in a fun and engaging way, where we answer questions, find solutions, discuss tools, and achieve results, all for happy animals and people. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and this podcast is brought to you by Animal Concepts, and the Practical Animal Welfare Science Membership Experience. Let's buzz! Welcome to another episode of iBuzz. Today, I am delighted to welcome Miriam Bilela, who is the Executive Director of the Earth Charter International Secretariat and the Center for Education for Sustainable Development at UPS. Miriam has been working with the Earth Charter Initiative since the early 1996. She coordinates the UNESCO Chair on Education for Sustainable Development with the Earth Charter and serves as a member of the UNESCO Expert Reference Group for the Decade of Education for Sustainable Development. Miriam holds a Bachelor in International Trade and a Master's Degree in Public Administration from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government where she was an Edward Mason Fellow. She's originally from Brazil but currently lives in Costa Rica. Over the years, she has led and facilitated numerous international workshops, courses, and seminars on the values and principles for sustainability. Prior to her work with the Earth Charter, Miriam worked with the United Nations Conference on the Environment and Development for two years in preparation of the 1992 UN Earth Summit and a year at the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. She actively participated in the 2002 World Summit of Sustainable Development held in Johannesburg and the 2012 UN Conference on Sustainable Development, Rio Plus 20. The Earth Charter International and Animal Concepts signed a Memorandum of Understanding on April 14th this year. And Animal Concepts and me are delighted to mutually reinforce mission statements and of course, educational activities through this partnership. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you for inviting me, and it's wonderful to join you here today. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, of course, it was a delight for me also to meet you in person in Costa Rica when I was visiting um, our friend and colleague, Irma Verhoeven, and, and it was really wonderful to visit the place where, of course, it's the home of Earth Charter International and the Earth Charter. So for those of you who are listening and are wondering, Earth Charter, Earth Charter International, what is all this? Don't worry, you know, Miriam is going to, I'm sure, share with us lots of valuable information and stories. But before we go there, Miriam, could you please share a little bit more about who you are, how you came to be, what you're doing today. Yes, sure. Um, so Sabrina, it was indeed very nice to meet you when you came to Costa Rica. Um, 
as you know, we are located on the beautiful campus of the University for Peace, and we have a beautiful forest just next to our office, a tropical forest. So it's nice that uh, you came to visit us, and we are very happy to have our collaboration now with uh, Animal Concept. Um, I was born and raised in Brazil, in Brasilia, the capital, and, but uh, uh, very early on I moved to Europe. I spent some years there before coming to Costa Rica, where I originally came thinking that I was going to spend just one year, and I have been uh, 25 years here. I have, of course, uh, fell in love with the country and with the people and with the work I do. Um, and I have uh, certainly uh, fell in love with the work of the Earth Charter because um, of the possibilities it has given me to meet people from all regions of the world and all cultures and to be able to enter into a dialogue with them to learn from their different cultures and different perspectives uh, in life. I guess that has been very enriching for me. There are so many different ways of, of seeing the world, of reading the world and per perceiving the world around us. Uh, that I think um, uh, the whole experience in working with Rashad has given me the, the really wonderful opportunity to learn from different perspectives and angles. And I, I, I have to, I, I should also be probably mention that um, I, I think I first got involved in all of this work because of the idea of sustainable development and in, in terms of how can we influence policy making and understanding sustainability and incorporate sustainability in policy making. And I think the, the United Nations has done a wonderful job in advancing policies around sustainable development. Uh, but later on, I really um, opened my eyes to the importance of education and have been seeing education really as a, as a main driver for social transformation and have been looking interested in looking at ways in which we can incorporate the whole idea of sustainability and the Earth Charter and values for planetary ethic into education in a way that is not imposing. So that's a little bit about myself and my, my areas of interest. Wonderful. I already look forward to hearing more about seeing and perceiving the worlds and differences and stories uh, that you have learned and shared, I'm sure, through all your work uh, with regards to either policies or education. Now, could you tell us more about what is the Earth Charter? Like, is it a, is it a document? Was it written? How did, how did it come into being? What is it? Mm -hmm. So the Earth Charter is, is, a, is a document that articulates uh, a number of uh, values and principles. Um, with a, that articulates actually a vision, a world vision for a more just, sustainable and peaceful world. Um, so the Rashada is the result of um, a, a multicultural, multi-sectoral dialogue, uh, process of consultation uh, to identify what should be the values and principles that should compose the Rashada. And this, this whole drafting process and consultation process to articulate 
the values that should be in their shutter uh, took place during the decade of the 90s. And therefore, their shutter as a document was launched in the year 2000. So in one way, we could see that their shutter is this document that uh, articulates or offers this um, ethical foundation or ethical framework for sustainability. But it's, their shutter is also involves a global movement that involves individuals and organizations from different parts of the world that have embraced their shutter as, uh, as an ethical reference for their decision making and work. And their shadow also involves the institution that is here, based in Costa Rica, that works as a coordinating hub uh, for this global movement. Um, so I think what the Earth Shadow does as a document is that it, it dares to, to craft this vision of a better world, uh, uh, a vision of a, a more just and sustainable and peaceful world, and also articulates how the whole vision of a, a social justice is linked with a ecological integrity and how that is linked to issues related to conflict and peace. So I think uh, their shadow offers, um, I think the value of their shadow, well, we could say there are many, but let me just focus on two. One is that it offers a, a very comprehensive approach to a world vision of um, sustainability and peace and it all so this the whole idea of the comprehensiveness of this document that is very broad you know and um, it it offers also a, a vision of um, uh, interdependence or, or systemic vision of all these values and ideas that are articulated in here but before I end, also maybe let me mention that I think it's very important that it's not just the aspiration of where we, we want to go, where we ought to go, but it also in the preamble of their shatter, it highlights the major great challenges that humanity currently faces. You know, that the same similar challenges we had 20 years ago are also today in terms of uh, environment degradation, and social disparities, and, and conflict, and etc. So it, it kind of helps us to look at where we are and the, the challenges we currently have, so having the, the feet on the ground, but it also invites us to elevate our views, our, our vision towards the future, and, and aspire to get our societies from around the world to a, a better place. Yes, and to me also the first time, it, it's actually not that long ago, I would say probably the first time I really, you know, read the Earth Charter and came to the Earth Charter website was maybe four years ago. So, and then of course that, that amplified when, when Irma, my friend, uh, started working um, in Costa Rica and learning more about it and uh, because to me it was not something that even though right now obviously it's like completely obvious why each and every organization should be for, for various reasons um, you know join 
and, and really look at what is the Earth Charter, what are these various principles and pillars really that can help us think. And for me also, the whole practice with my company to go through, you know, the easy assess, the Earth Charter assess, and in what ways are you, you know, contributing, are you thinking, are you working towards, um, you know, like you say, the, not the, just the aspirations, but also in what way could you be maybe a small piece of a very large um, puzzle that helps towards um, overcoming these challenges, which of course a lot of that can only happen through collaboration. So for me, that like, you know, we, I was kind of saying, is it a document, is it this, is it that? Because of course, as you say, it is so many different things and it has so many different ways uh, of being in the world, mm -hmm. either on paper or as a vision and, and mission. Um, yeah, I think we, we could say that we could envision this as it's a document that um, inspire a global movement. Uh, because yes. a document could be seen as something that is uh, theoretical and abstract, but we all know that theory without action and practice, it's empty. No? But also too much action and, and practice without... Um, guidance and philosophy may also be dangerous. So I always like to, to link or to make an analogy that I see their shot as a, co a two-sided coin. One side of the coin is the, the theory, is the philosophy, it gives us direction. And the other side of the coin is the action and the practice. So they go together. It, um, so the Urshara movement worldwide is of course, it's inspired by this um, vision of a planetary ethic, an Earth ethic that is articulated in the Earth Charter. Yes, yes. And I think, like on the Earth Charter website, you obviously know much better than I do, but I love the sentence that the Earth Charter is a document with 16 principles powering a global movement towards a more just sustainable and peaceful world and as you say this this two-sided coin where it it's about um direction and inspiration and also about action but constantly thinking about how we are connected and how our actions and the effects of our actions and therefore going back to also the thinking and contemplating and what you already also obviously highlighted in the creation of of the earth charter this process of consultation which i'm sure is something that you is something that needs to come back every time even on a smaller perhaps level this consultation to do that flip between the those sides of the coin is that how i can understand it yeah i i think um uh, the whole idea of their shadow should stimulate an ongoing dialogue of um, what are the values that are underlining our our decisions what are the values that are in, in motivating our our decisions our actions and our old world views how we see the world underneath that has a lot to do with our values so as since the moment their shadow was launched, uh, many people said, well, we, we, 
We have to use it as, an ethical, as a reference for dialogue, for further dialogue, um, uh, as a reference to stimulate uh, our values examination. Uh, not necessarily as something that is written on stone. You, you, you see what I mean? Not, not something like, yes. okay, here it is, we have to abide for it and let's not discuss more and let's go for it. It's kind of a, an ongoing process of looking at it as a reference, but continue our, our dialogue uh, on how do we examine the way we see the world? What do we see that is right or wrong, um, correct or not? It depends on the way, on our worldviews that are actually found, like based on, on the values that uh, are underneath it. Yes, yes. So, Earth Charter International, can you talk a little bit more to that, the, the organization itself? Um, so, the Earth Charter, uh, emerged, the Earth Charter idea uh, emerged uh, originally as, a, as an idea, as part of the Brundtland Commission report our common future that was published in 1987. As part of that report, the Brunkville Commission recommended the need for a new charter, a new, a new charter to guide uh, states towards sustainability. So that's where the idea of their charter emerged. Then it was the whole conversation around developing an Earth Charter was part of the United Nations Earth Summit process uh, before the 92 summit itself. So it has always been kind of a, an idea, a project that uh, really originally came from within the UN, but after the Earth Summit, it was a, it's, it was a process that was uh, taken to the realm of the civil society. Um, so for that, um, um, an, an institution was set up here in Costa Rica, uh, now called the Earth Charter International. It's kind of our secretariat functions from Costa Rica. Um, and we established, uh, uh, after that, an education center, a center on education for sustainable development, thinking that uh, there is much need to incorporate these ideas uh, into education processes, not as a way to, to inculcate, but as a way to cultivate thinking around these issues. So there's a difference between imposing and inculcating an idea. That's not our intention. The idea is to, to uh, generate spaces to cultivate a worldview that it's more towards a planetary earth ethic rather than focus on a, the interest of a singular uh, local place or area of knowledge. I hope, I hope that helps to clarify. So basically, the Rashad International functions as this secretariat that coordinates this global movement or network of organizations and people around the world that are using the Rashad in many different ways. Yes, and you, you talk about education and, of course, University of Peace you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit more about 
you know, what type of education, what type of courses or degrees, in what ways can people study and learn how to work with, implement um, the Earth Charter or related educational um, endeavors? Yes, so, um, you know, in, uh, just to, to give a little bit also background on that, um, when the when the Earth Summit took place, um, something called the Agenda 21 was elaborated. No, was a was a huge document with 40 chapters addressing many different things, uh, from atmosphere to forests um, to indigenous people, and this was supposed to be the agenda for the 21st century in terms of priorities uh, for the international cooperation to address, to work on. One of those chapters uh, uh, addressed the importance of uh, awareness raising and education. And the whole idea around that was still on uh, education, environment education, and education for sustainable development. But as the years went by, uh, more and more uh, the idea of education for sustainable development uh, got stronger and stronger. So 10 years later, in the Johannesburg Summit in 2002, there was a stronger uh, positioning around the Education for Sustainable Development. So the whole Earth Charter effort um, uh, in working with the Education for Sustainability was kind of parallel to that. So um, towards the end of 2002, the UN also adopted a resolution to launch uh, United Nations Decade on Education for Sustainable Development, which took place between 2005 and 2014. Ten years of work to promote education for sustainable development. So that was a, a UN move, no? a UN initiative. Um, so the Earth Charter International Secretariat has been contributing to these processes since 2002 of, uh, of, of elevating the importance of education for sustainable development. Uh, the understanding here is that um, uh, policies and laws are important, of course, uh, and, and strategies around sustainable development are important, uh, but in order to, to see the long-term um, uh, results of a social transformation, we need to incorporate these ideas and thinking into education processes. So that, that's the rationale behind here. So uh, in 2005, we established the Earth Charter Center, the, the, center of, uh, the Earth Charter Center on Education for Sustainable Development. We established it along the, the, same, the, the same time as the UN Decade on Education for Sustainable Development. And in 2012, um, we signed an agreement with UNESCO to establish a, a UNESCO chair on Education for Sustainable Development. And the whole idea here is to use the, the center and this UNESCO chair, special UNESCO chair, as a place to um, as a place to to develop research and training on that intersection between sustainability values and education. 
So uh, since then, much of our work has been to offer um, professional development courses, um, short courses, a little longer courses for, for young leaders and also educators and our professionals to enhance their capacity um, and enhance their ability to incorporate sustainability through the lenses of their charter into their decisions and spheres of action. So for instance, in terms of young leaders, um, uh, for the past 20 years, um, the whole idea of engaging, empowering, and educating young leaders um, with this whole idea of becoming an ethical leader uh, in sustainability through the lens of their shadow has been a major mission for us. Um, so that's that's what we have been doing here mostly uh, in our education center, developing research on on what are the best ways for us to make use of their chart as an education reference, or what are the best ways for us to incorporate the values and principles of sustainability into education. And so we research on that, and also at the same time offering training. And, and short courses uh, on professional development on these things. That's wonderful. And it is possible to actually study in person, right? Full degrees and courses, but you can also do this online, correct? Yes. Um, so we, although we have a beautiful campus and a, and a small education center here, uh, in which we offer uh, normally when we are in normal times in the world, we do offer face-to-face -face, uh, short courses here in Costa Rica. We have also for many years already been offering online courses. Um, um, actually, uh, the one that we have been offering the most already for, I think, about six years has been the Leadership, Sustainability and Ethics 10-week uh, online course uh, for young leaders. Uh, but we also offer one a diploma program, uh, which is a, a six-month opportunity for educators, uh, not only in formal education, education settings, but also non-formal education settings, um, into education. It's a diploma program, a professional development program on education for sustainable development, also based on their shadow, using their shadow as a reference. And uh, this is... Uh, an online diploma with uh, four courses um, in about six months work. So these are just a few of, of the several courses, uh, course opportunity, opportunities that we are offering. But you know, let me just mention, um, it's very interesting when we see so many um, UN documents and even political discourses talking about the importance to promote values, the importance to, to have a more ethical approach to life, to decisions, how important it is to have more ethical leaders, you know, in our uh, political spheres, you know, in which country uh, uh, in the world has many ethical leaders, you no? Know? I, I think in most countries around the world, we are kind of short in having... Uh, leadership uh, either in the private sector or in the public sector that is really um, diligent, um, uh, 
coherence uh, with, uh, with ethics of common goods and their decision making. So despite the fact that we're all calling for an uh, urge of having more ethical leaders in, in the public and private sector, uh, despite the fact that many UN documents and political documents refer to the importance of ethics and values, when we look at the education systems, we see a vacuum in, in, in spaces to address <clears throat> the values and ethics. Uh, there is kind of a misperception that, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the whole idea of uh, values and ethics is only something that should belong to, to the uh, faculties or departments of philosophy. But rather, I, we like to, to challenge that and think that um, anyone uh, receiving any kind of education, either be it to become a, a lawyer, a business person, an engineer, we should receive as part of that process um, some sort of training about ethics and values and decision-making and the importance to, to serve the common good. So anyway, that's part of uh, the, the questions that trigger us. Yes, I, I think that is so important to look at it also from that perspective because we all know how, of course, one is that many there's many goals being set for a more just uh, environment, a more sustainable environment, but many of them are not being met. Um, and of course, also, there's a lot of things that we need to know but we don't necessarily get to education uh, in those particular areas. And, and many of the educational systems are also very much outdated in you know, how we learn or you know, what, not only what we learn, but also how we learn and how we learn to communicate or how we learn to address problems. So I think it's very valuable that you share all these details with us because that is exactly where also we're going to be able to make changes if we're looking at you know why is this happening that we are having you know such a difficult time perhaps with change and perhaps we need to start and of course education is so important aspect of that in in creating change uh, across so yeah i think i'm very glad you're you're sharing this with us and of course we will make sure to link because people listening they might be come curious to look at courses or, or other uh, information that you're offering online. So we will make sure to, um, you know, to have those links so that people can, uh, can find out more about all the, all the wonderful things that you're offering. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Sabrine. Um, I think there is a, a really a, something that uh, almost we, there is there is a lot of work for us to do to demystify the thinking that uh, the world is in much need of uh, practical things, and it is true, <laughs> and, or, and, and that an education that is around values and ethics is is not urgent or not necessary. And I think um, we need to address that and actually create spaces uh, to talk about our worldviews, our values, to examine why we make decision, the decisions we make, where do they come from, how they are informed, 
um, so it's kind of uh, creating more spaces for us to reflect about our lives and our decisions and above all the consequences of them in, in various dimensions of society. Yes, absolutely. And I think what you're bringing up here is something that really points to like overarching or bigger visions and aspects versus also the, the individual, the like this, uh, the detailed to the bird's eye view and everything in between and zooming in and out with, because all these, you know, we can think about ethics and values from, like you say, you know, the ethics for the planet and for other people, but also very many things that happen today have such an impact on individuals when we don't learn how to communicate. So we learn all kinds of things in school, but we might not actually learn how to be, how to be kind, how to be compassionate, how to be considerate, all these things that, you know, if you, ho hopefully you have good parents, family, peers, teachers, people around you, but a lot of us don't necessarily, or, or we live in, in environments where it's very difficult perhaps to do those things because we are in a survival mode. So this constant cascade and these constant uh, um, reverberations in a way between like the individual versus the, the big um, ideas. Um, I'm, I'm trying to kind of find my way through words as, as you're talking, because it's, it makes me think about so many of the small day-to-day -day things that, that people are having to face uh, because mm. of, we are not learning, which then, of course, has such big inf uh, influences and, and outcomes on many of the things that, that you talk about also in big. Um, and, and for me, also, I noticed that many of, of these things that you speak about or that are in the Earth Charter or in lots of other documents it's not something that I have necessarily yet spent so much time thinking about and, and um, because yeah, we just have so many other things right in our lives. And so it's so important to almost start somewhere at the beginning more when you're younger so that it becomes kind of part of your fabric. It becomes part of your being as you navigate and grow through the world uh, rather than perhaps for me, like, you know, having to learn of this many, many, you know, decades into my life, even though this has been something that has been around for so long. Yeah. Um, imagine that uh, we are having more and more so-called educated people around the world, more yes. than 100 years ago, right? Yes, we have more PhDs, we have more people who access higher education, we have more MBAs than 100 years ago. <laughs> However, which makes us think that we, and it's true, we have a lot of kind of uh, certain knowledge, but it's a knowledge that is not compensated with a sensitivity and commitment to to the common good, or it's a knowledge that does not involve um, consciousness with regards to our responsibility with the well-being, not only of people, but the large living world. So you can be a great engineer and lawyer in, in the business MBA 
doctorate or person without any literacy regarding the well-being of the larger living world, the, regarding the fact that with your knowledge also comes a responsibility with the well-being of people and the planets in the large living world. And not only of that, but knowledge regarding our responsibility with future generations. So that, that's actually quite scary. We can have a lot of major scientists and, and uh, engineers and etc. around the world being relatively well educated, quote unquote, no, educated, without that vision that of, uh, of commitment um, to it. So I would like to just share, there is a principle in their charter, I think it's principle 2B, that talks about the more knowledge you have, or the more no it's important for us to understand that the more, the more freedom and the more knowledge and therefore the more power we have, we also need to understand that, that we should have an increased responsibility to promote the common good. So in that sense, that the more educated I am or the more power I have, either material power or power in terms of knowledge, uh, that should also involve an increase, that should also involve an increased sense of responsibility to serve the common good and uh, an, an increase of responsibility to care uh, for the well-being of uh, not only of of my family, of my country, but uh, the well-being of people across the planet, but also my responsibility with the well-being of um, um, all living beings. Be and the reason is because our actions do generate an impact in, in the environment, in the social dimension, and therefore, it's, it's kind of an invitation for us to think about the impact and the consequences of our decisions and actions. And therefore, the more power we have, uh, the bigger the, the, the consequences um, of our decisions uh, in, in, around us. Yes. And so also, what, what I think I hear you say is that what we really would need is also a change in, you know, what is it that we all get as an education before we might specialize into becoming the engineer or like me, a psychologist or, um, but what is like that base of education that we should all hmm. have regardless yeah. of where you are in the world, right? Yeah, I think all of, most of us, we go to, to, to be trained in any education the, the field without asking why, you know, like, why am I doing this? Why is education for? Um, and if we do get to answer that question in a shallow way, uh, the answer could, would probably be because I need to, I, so I need to get a job. So I get education because I need to get a job and I need to get a job so that I have a better quality of life. So it's very much um, limited. The, the horizon here is it's very short, right? It's limited to, to ourselves, to the, to the self, to the, to the person or to the family. Um, 
which is okay. So I think one of the one of the purposes of education is uh, to enable the, the person to to fulfill the best they can and, and to realize their potential. Not many people say the purpose of education is to realize the full potential of the, the human being, but it's also uh, as important that um, one of the purposes of education is to help me figure out ways to better contribute uh, to the well-being of society, you know, to, to, to the betterment of society. I get educated because whatever I'm going to do in the future with that knowledge should contribute to um, the common good, should contribute to the well-being of people. So it's kind of both ways, you know, both reasons um, for us to get education. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, there's so much to, to think about then what, what is it that, that countries or governments or the, you know, everybody around the world, like now a lot of the curriculums are based on, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, math and different languages and geography and all these topics. And it's like, so what should that education, you know, from, from preschool throughout, you know, high school and college, what should that look like, right? To to reflect this apart from some of the other building blocks that you might need in your other education. Um, but what is that common education, right? That that we should all have that contribute to having you having the tools, having the knowledge to contribute to to the greater mm -hmm. good. Yeah, that's so so much to think about. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, the Earth Charter has different themes every year, and this year it's turning consciousness into action. Can you tell us more about that, please? Yes, yeah, so over the years we have selected uh, some slogans uh, to help us in our communication efforts. And I, I actually think it's quite interesting that it, a slogan is much more than just a simple question, a simple sentence, because it encapsulates key core ideas of the work we do. No? <clears throat> so in this particular case, um, uh, the idea of conscious um, in consciousness is because the whole effort of the Earth Charter has the intention to help us to expand and deepen our consciousness with regards to how we ought to relate to one another as human beings. Expand and deepen our consciousness also uh, in terms of how we ought to relate to the large living world and to future generations. So it's kind of a increasing, deepening our consciousness. But then is also that consciousness should lead us into action. So uh, again, uh, this year we are commemorating 20 years since the launch of the Earth Charter. It was launched in June 2000 after this years of consultation process. And um, we really want this um, whole idea of an earth ethic that is encapsulated in the earth charter to be seen not just as 
as abstract idea or philosophical idea, but that that consciousness invite us or, or serve as reference um, to our action. So it's kind of action. Um, we, 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 of course, we do need to, to generate more action, but more informed action. And it's this whole idea of uh, reflecting, reflecting on our actions, our decisions, and the consequences of those into the, the common good. Um, so the whole idea for, for this, the slogan of this year was to, to help us uh, more and more position uh, the Earth Charter um, as, as a tool, as an instrument, uh, as a reference that generates informed action uh, with an expanded uh, consciousness. Of, uh, of our role here in this planet Earth uh, with a planetary consciousness. So that's, that's the, the slogan of this year. But if we look back uh, in previous year, we had a year, I think it was two years ago, we had the slogan, embrace a sustainable lifestyle. So it was to really the concept idea that uh, sustainability should be seen through our lifestyles. No? Our day-to-day -day decisions and lifestyles need to reflect uh, uh, the idea of the values of sustainability. So that was another year that we wanted to emphasize this notion of lifestyles, decision-making, earth charter. So it was a kind of two years ago, looking around, embrace a sustainable lifestyle through the lenses of the earth charter. Um, there was another year that we we took a sentence from the preamble of Earth Charter that articulates the the idea that we are one human family with one common destiny. So this whole idea of human family and Earth community. You know, actually, the slogan was one Earth community, one Earth community with a shared des destiny, which is. Um, it's, an, it's an, an idea, a vision that is articulated in the preamble of the Earth Charter. And, um, and if, if there's a lot to say about just this notion of Earth community, you know, that, that is really one of the intentions of the Earth Charter is to, to elevate our consciousness that we are part of an Earth community. It's not just about we are part of a human family or not just part of my family, my country but we are part of a nurse community and is kind of trying to change our this narrative um, that of course goes against the narrative of nationalism, uh, xenophobia, which by the way, I, I think um, many people do ask me, well, do you see how, what is the relevance of the Earth Charter to, to, to today, you know, after 20 years since the launch of the Earth Charter? Um, what what could be the is is their shadow still relevant um, for for current times? And um, I, one of the things that often comes to my mind is uh, well, of course it is because if we see the wave of uh, nationalism, if we see the the current wave of growth of uh, 
polarization in the political ideologies, um, the increase of xenophobia, discrimination, and all of these, which are the opposite, you know, the opposite side of, of what is written in their shadow, of the bold vision that is in their shadow. Um, I think it is, their shadow is, of course, relevant to, to nowadays because it's a vision that helps us to counteract the current wave of uh, xenophobia, nationalism, lack of tolerance even. Um, with with the simple notion of we are part of a one earth community, we have a common destiny, we are one human family. So all these ideas that are articulated here are to help us create a new narrative of who we are, why are we here for, um, and how do we ought to relate to this large living world. Thank you so much for all this really valuable information in such in such detail and nuances also because I think that really you know especially when these things are new uh, it helps us to not only get new vocabulary new understanding but also you know as you have been there's like this red thread for me through this whole podcast which is about you know, consciousness, awareness, becoming, you know, thoughtful and thoughtful about our actions and really, you know, this continuing dialogue and deep education and uh, informed action so that it is all connected and, and why are we here? And, and then specifically also, as we deepen this conversation, you, you talk, of course, about the human family, the earth community, uh, the the Earth Charter talks about, um, you know, respecting the community of life. And what does that, what does that entail? You know, what does that mean when we say, you know, planet, nature, ecosystem, other animals, and the roles that we play? So this is um, also part of this narrative and worldview that is strongly articulated in their Charter. That is... Um, uh, inviting us to move away from this narrative that is very anthropocentric that we have all learned from us since we were born. You know? We were born thinking that we are the center of the world and, uh, and the most important thing is to have natural resources to serve the good of the humans, for instance. You know? That's a narrative um, that we learn. Um, but there is shatter vision is actually articulating this narrative of that is more that is again that is an invitation for us to move away from an anthropocentric worldview of the world to a more life-centric you know ecocentric view of the world so at the core of the shadow lies an ethic of care and respect for the community of life so that's the first pillar of their shadow and uh, you could see this as, a, as the roots of, of a tree. That's the foundation of the rest of the tree. You know? uh, the whole idea of respect and care for the community of life. And the, the idea of community of life is basically this. like that. It's not just about we the humans. It's, it's we the humans, we, we are part of a large living world that we are not just part of, but we are dependent on. 
Um, so it's kind of an invitation for us to really shift our mindset to how we look at the world around us and that we, we have a sense of um, awe, humility, um, gratitude to the large living world that, is, uh, that goes beyond we, the humans. Yes, and that to me, of course, was something that resonated very much because uh, through animal concepts and also the practical animal welfare science platform, but also our collaborations with all kinds of organizations and educational institutions around the world, we are really, you know, we're of course working on education, we're working together with people, but much of what we do, of course, is related to behavior change in people for animals and for the planet and of course you know when for me this words of sustainability a sustainable relationship with other animals in this world or to you know other ecosystems and and a peaceful for me and just had much also to do about you know who are the other beings in this world you know to whom we often now assign roles or we assign all kinds of value or uh, rather than them being who they are, you know, for their own existence. And of course, you know, very much when it comes to the work that we do is looking at if, you know, we are engaging with other animals or, or using other animals for all kinds of different practices and, and for perhaps what we see as greater goals, then how do we, um, you know, look at all these um, engagements and all these activities, but really from the perspective of the animals, what does it mean for them? And is this something that uh, they can, can choose or something they would feel is just? Um, because of course, a lot of the time we cannot, um, you know, have these dialogues like you talked about that we have with other human beings. And so I think especially when we are working with or using animals for all kinds of purposes, then it is really up to us to look at how do we do that in ways uh, that is in the best interest of the animal as much as possible, or uh, can we or should we be ending certain practices that uh, clearly uh, do not fulfill you know, these, these visions of uh, peaceful, sustainable and just uh, for, uh, in you know for the other living beings so to to me that was one um, of the 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 attractions if you like one of the motivations to uh, to look at the earth charter and use it as as an ethical mm. compass yeah well i think it it will be very hard for us to see the world through their lenses no? through the lens of a yes. scroll through the lens of a whale yes <clears throat> but the Earth Charter does, um, I, I, I still think, uh, coming back to, we, we are born and we are raised to look at the world from a top-down approach, no? Um, and I, I think here is kind of an invitation to learn to see things in a more horizontal way. Yes. Um, not from that positioning of domination, um, although that's what we learn. So it's kind of... Rashad is kind of challenging us. That's why I'm saying I've said from the beginning that it's an invitation 
for us to challenge our worldviews. Uh, what, what do we think and why do we think? Where does those ideas come from? Is that right or wrong? Um, so there was a, during the drafting process of the Rashada, there was a lot of conversation around how, what, what should be the words that uh, should be articulated in it that links our relationship with the, with the, with the, with the animal world. You know? So actually, I think it's one of those that was most discussed. Um, uh, one, because of the word compassion um, and then how to craft it in a way that we need to, to, to raise awareness on the importance of having more respect and care for, for animals. So the way in, in which it is now, because otherwise I can speak for hours on this, is that in principle 15 of their chatter, it does articulate the importance to treat all living beings with respect and consideration. And now the question here, well, what does that mean for different cultures? Uh, uh, depending on where we come from, we have learned how to treat animals in a different way. Then the, the invitation here is, okay, let's, let's see how we, we interpret this, how we can put that in practice, uh, how would be the different ways to, to interpret uh, or to understand this simple principle, which is treat all living beings. All living beings mean like from, from human beings, but also, I don't know, cows and uh, bears. Uh, I mean, all living beings with respect and consideration. So there are two, uh, three supporting principles under that principle 15. Um, but as I mentioned before, if we look at part one of their charter as the root of the tree, which is the foundation, the whole idea here that, uh, like for instance, in principle one of their charter talks about respect, person, life in all its diversity. So it's respecting living beings in all its diversity. Principle uh, 1A and B talks about our interdependence with the large living world. Um, the whole principle two of their shadow says care for the community of life with understanding, compassion, and love. Because we need to understand, we need to see that like there's uh, uh, an animal here or a living being there, uh, what are their needs and how we are interdependent from one another. And I guess something that's very important here is regardless of the worth I'm giving to that, to, to, to that animal or to that being. So for instance, principle 1A says, we need, we must recognize that all living beings are interdependent and every form of life has value, regardless of its worth to human being. What does that mean? It means that if I look at someone could value more, an animal than the other because you like it, because you think it's beautiful, because it's, it's nice. <laughs> and you say, okay, this animal deserves more respect than the other animal. But, but here, the idea that's articulated here is that independently or regardless of, of what's, what this is, how, how we see it, or regardless of how this is worth to human beings, uh, 
we need to see that there is an interdependence and there is a need for respect and a need for care for those living beings. So it's actually, it's quite interesting here. I think that we should have a whole course or dialogue around how, how we, we see and perceive uh, the large living world and why. Why do we see the world like that? And most probably is because when we are, as, as we are growing up as a child, we had had or had not experience with with how the adults were treating um, a, any any animal in front of us, and we just absorb that information and, and that's it. Anyway. Yes, I think it, it is so interesting, and I've had many conversations. With, uh, with Irma Fahuva also about this because, you know, we were really looking at all these different principles and, and um, specifically, of course, you know, when you're looking at various words like protecting wild animals and then, but of course, prevent cruelty to animals kept in human societies. And what does that then mean, right? And, and, uh, and uh, how, do, how do we deal with animals that are, you know, beings in their own right, but then maybe because they are in conflict with some of the things that, that human animals want, uh, then how do we, uh, you know, deal with those things? Um, so there's so much, yeah, we could have a whole podcast and perhaps we should plan that <laughs> one day is just to kind of talk about, you know, animal, other animals, uh, including, of course, uh, yeah. Because it does have some, it does generate some many dilemmas. No, I mean, yes, uh, some are very simple to to address and, and answer. Others generate uh, a lot of dilemmas. Um, but I think what one thing that is quite interesting is about offering this space, dialogue about these things in a way that people can sit on the table and stick to the conversation in a respectful way. Yes. Um, for instance, I'm often uh, here in Costa Rica around conversations around dogs. You no, know? they're the dog lovers and the ones who are, don't like dogs very much. Dogs or cats, <laughs> pets, and uh, there is such a spectrum of differences in how we how we relate to to them. You no, know? uh, I mean you have from one side of the the, the situation people who like to to sleep with dogs and cats and etc., and others who hate them. <laughs> and how yes. to create a space, a respectful space to dialogue about that uh, in a way that we, we can, I mean, not everybody around the world should be probably in either of the uh, sides of polarization, no? but um, we should create spaces to, to find ways that whether we like or not this or that animal, that we generate um, ways to, to respect them, but also respect the way in which the others are kind of treating them as long as it's, it goes into a kind of, uh, how to say, uh, a range of, uh, of respect and care. You see what I'm trying to say? Yes, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's so, so many times these, these open dialogues or these respectful dialogues of different views, different values, different, you know, approaches, um, they, they actually end up in a sphere where there's, there's none of that respect or, 
or open communication where you're trying to find, or for me, what I find much in my uh, organization and working with others is that we, instead of something that I'd like to do is focus on where do we overlap? What are the things that we have in common? What are the things that would unite us that we can move things forward, that we can, you know, decide together on what it is that we could be doing for changing, you know, how we are dealing with animals, how we treating animals, rather than, you know, focusing on the things that divide us or that separate us. So those things are very important, you know, to me. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you talking about this throughout the podcast, this importance of dialogue, about respect, about keep, you know, talking and understanding. And very much so this idea of this horizontal approach uh, to instead of looking, you know, what is the value to us um, looking at animals and others, uh, you know, trees or rivers or any other, you know, community of life um, in, in its own right and respect. Yeah, you know, Sabrina, it's very nice when we talk about dialogue. Um, as long as we are able, we, we are sitting on the table with people that have a similar way of thinking than us. Then the dialogue is very nice and we can have a cup of coffee and tea and chat and we all think the same way. However, when we, we enter into a dialogue with someone who thinks in a completely different way from us and we are invited to stick to the conversation, that is the kind of skill that uh, is most needed uh, yes. around yes. the world. You know, yes. that, like, okay, you think like North Pole and South Pole kind of thinking, but still we need to figure out a way to stick to the conversation and not leave the room. Absolutely. Yes, I completely agree with you. And I think, and, and, and often when we, when we, and I think, you know, to, it, it, harks back and it points back at what you've been talking about the whole podcast also is education and it's one of those other things that we should really learn that can help us uh, be you know better citizens in this world to others uh, humans but also of course um, other living beings but you know I think there's when we when we are willing to step step away from the the tight you know, debates and tight narratives or the tight approaches, then what we often will find is that there are some things uh, that are, that make us, you know, our kind of common humanity. And um, yeah, but like you say, it's, uh, that is very difficult. Um, and hence why there's, of course, so many, so many challenges for us to face. And, and some of that also, of course, goes back to, I would say, human biology or human psychology and this, you know, in-group, out-group and, and other aspects. And, and what you've talked about is, you know, being aware of some of these aspects and how do we then try and mitigate that by, by deliberately uh, approaching that in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. So you've talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the Earth Charter, Earth Charter International, of course, the relevance of the Earth Charter still today in the community of life. And in the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the podcast, I think it would be absolutely wonderful if you could talk a little bit more about a transformative education. So this idea of being in and experience nature, what role does that play? 
uh, and perhaps you know some practical examples of the earth pillars and principles some some stories of change perhaps okay um so transformative education um the way i see it no uh, i think if we are looking at education through the lenses of their charter uh, we must provide spaces for people to experience the different views of people <laughs> as we we're just mentioning but also to connect with nature and um, given the fact that uh, over the past 50 years there are more and more people living in the urban areas uh, meaning less and less people living in the rural areas um, uh, depending on where we are in the world um, there are actually many people living not only living in urban areas but living in a way that uh, there is little connection little experiences in nature and uh, given the fact that uh, edu formal education or schooling is a lot about dealing with books and classrooms and now dealing with Zooms and internets, uh, it gives little room for really allowing people to go and just touch the earth and, and feel the nature. So I think it's very hard for us to care for something that we don't know. It's hard for us to, to care for something we don't see, don't understand. And if we, the only way we, we know about nature is through the books. So, um, I mean, you, you can read as much as you want about a forest or you can read as much as you want about the, being the ocean, but it's only until you are experiencing the being in the ocean and experience being in a forest is that you, you can see it from a dis different perspective. So, um, I think it's actually urgent for us to create more spaces for people to connect with nature. Uh, even by looking at the sky and, and trying to, to feel the breeze. Of, uh, because some people argue that, oh, not many schools in the urban areas, we, we, we do not have parks or forests around us, it's very difficult to take students there. Uh, and I fully understand, but I think if we have to strive to, to, off, to generate in a creative ways, generate more spaces um, for people to learn within, from, in nature. Um, just to sparkle the interest, to sparkle to, to to help us uh, not only open our eyes from uh, our reasoning, but to open our hearts from our feeling. Um, and that only happens when we are experiencing it, I guess. <clears throat> so our recommendation, when we talk about transformative learning uh, through the lenses of the Earth Charter, uh, an important aspect of that is generating more spaces to connect with nature, to experience nature. Uh, and there are many ways this could be done. So that was one part of your question, right? 
Yeah, so experience right, could be anything know. from from say uh, green roofs to uh, beekeeping to local gardens to all kinds of yeah. you know it could be just in the smallest space, but uh, for us to generate uh, our connection away from the asphalt and the concrete to to the green and to the living or to indeed like you say to be looking up you know to the sky it could be all yeah. kinds of these practical you know green uh, green cities yeah or green your own green garden your own green uh, balcony your own green you know little window whatever it might be absolutely yeah. you know there is a film from a film called lorax from Dr. Zeus in the, it's yes. a film supposedly for children, but there is an interesting message there that the, the humans in that, in that uh, situation that they have created, they, they considered earth soil dirty, you know? Yes. So they, they look at, oh, trees, oh, but they are dirty. So kind of the, it's kind of a narrative that it's actually many people nowadays living in the urban areas who do not have the occasion to go to touch earth or to be in the soil. or the, There is kind of this a similar narrative in their minds nowadays. I mean, not only in the Lorax film, um, uh, because I say this because I have seen so many young people who just don't enjoy being in nature. Uh, they just feel uneasy um, in being a natural side because they are not used to that. And I think there's, there's a, a growing number of people around the world living in urban areas who, because they never had the chance to, to experience nature, uh, there's this perception that is naturally growing in the minds of them. So I, I just pick this and try to imagine how, how this will be in 30 years from now. So how can, why do we care about nature if we don't understand, we don't enjoy, we don't like? So you see, it's kind of something that grows in our mindsets. Yes, um, yes. I, I think also, like I remember being at a zoo once and there was... Um, beautiful session happening with with young kids um i would think eight or nine and they were chatting to the educator at the zoo and they were talking about the things that you could see in nature and one of the answers i overheard was when the question was like what can you find on the ground and one of the one of the boys there he said um concrete asphalt and it was to me one of those eye openers i grew up in like the countryside in you know lots of green spaces and so that would not have been my first answer um and so i think you know like you say so many people are moving to the cities or living in urban areas um, and not maybe having the opportunity to be on grass or experience the forest. But then also, uh, I mean, he was very happy jumping around and doing all kinds of things to get dirty. Uh, but there's also, yeah, a lot of people who are afraid of being out in nature or the silence that sometimes comes with being in nature or the overwhelm. And so it's it's interesting to have these conversations because I had never never thought about that. Um, and I have, you know, I've um, um, learned to, you know, to, uh, been taught to take people out in nature and walking into the mountains. And, and I've had to take one of my 
um, delegate in the group many years ago when I was doing this in France, I had to take her back to her car because when we arrived up in the mountains at this refuge, there was no cell reception. And she was, she completely freaked out. Uh, this idea of being out there in nature and not having an opportunity to call. Um, so I think there's so many things related to us not being connected to nature, whether it's, you know, becoming dirty or, you know, just being in this, yeah, entity that is so different from us. And it also reminds me, as you were talking about dirt, there is this beautiful song uh, by Arrested Development, and it's called uh, Children Play With Earth. I don't know if you've heard about it, but um, there's also these sentences, you know, like dig your hands in the dirt, uh, children play yeah. with earth. And uh, Absolutely. yeah, it's all these things together, right? When you start to think about it <laughs> and this podcast is just becoming longer and longer. So just before, because you have, I, I'm so grateful for your time and all your, all your beautiful information and stories. Could you, in conclusion, perhaps share a practical example of the Earth Charter or a story of change that really you thought this is this is amazing? Um, so maybe let me share a story of uh, there is a company in Brazil called. Uh, Itaipu. Itaipu is the biggest power plant uh, in Brazil, so it's a huge electricity company. Um, it's a public uh, company. Um, and uh, in 2003, they became interested to start establishing a, uh, what, what many people know as corporate social responsibility program of their company. And they, they came to know the Earth Charter, they embraced it, they started using it. Um, and I think that the, for about almost 15 years, they run a program called Cultivating Good Water. But I think what I have seen, they have that process really generated in them. I mean, the whole company was kind of opening their eyes that the mission of the company was not just to produce electricity. I mean, through that whole process of embracing their charter, using it, learning about it, and et cetera, expanded their vision and their consciousness that their business was not just about producing energy, it was actually to uh, generate quality of life was to contribute to the quality of life, not only of people, but also to the well-being of, of living beings around the area that they had an impact. So I think for me, that it's quite an interesting example of something that it comes from a very different uh, world. Of, of course, it's a business, it's to produce energy, it's, it has a huge environment and social impact. But that they are able to to change the mindset, expand consciousness, and, uh, and change the way they do things. And one thing they have changed was pretty much in engaging more with the communities that are surrounding that company. Um, I'm not saying that it's a perfect company, that they don't have any impact in the environment, etc. On the contrary, but I think it's important for us to 
to see the opportunities that lies when when awareness is raising there's new consciousness and you change the way in which you do things and uh, i think it, it became very important for them uh since around 2005 that they saw the role of them in contributing to the quality of life of the communities surrounding them and and the importance to interact more with uh, the local governments uh, the farmers the associations of development the small private business in, in entering into a more an articulate a better articulation with the different actors uh, that uh, that surrounded the area that they they were working on so um, I think that that's quite an interesting way of, of expanding the vision and the role we all have and I guess all of us from an individual level to an institutional level uh, there's always so much to learn um, it's, it's an ongoing process you know, of learning and expanding our consciousness uh, regarding the role we play here and uh, their shadow offers just uh, when you engage with your chat, it's basically an invitation for us to to, to think about that and, and reconsider what we do, how we do, and find better ways of how we ought to relate to the others. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, like you've said, you know, there are so many different opportunities for organizations to look at the Earth Charter or and uh, one of the ones that also came to mind for me was the the example or the action actually that Painton Zoo Environmental Park uh, in 2012 they they looked at the Earth Charter uh, as uh, for inspiration and really you know came up with something that has gotten, a, I think, a lot of traction since um, also in other facilities, and this is that the verticrop vertical farming system and uh, you know to kind of illustrate one of the principles of the earth charter and and they have this also on their website and i think it's you know all these things together are how organizations companies big and small can look at and then of course individuals through education through you know deliberate thinking and and focused uh, action uh, to really informed action as you said is to really how how can we you know do this uh, both you know from a practical perspective as from a dialogue and and problem-solving perspective so I, I really appreciate you sharing with us so much today uh, and and also uh, some very nice stories of change but thank you Miriam so much for coming on to the podcast and I hope to have you back one day uh, and then we can talk uh, a lot more all about animals. That would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Sabrina. It's, it has been a pleasure to, to chat with you today. Already the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Find us on your favorite platform and leave your comments and suggestions. Or go to the Animal Concepts website to send us your questions and feedback. We are so happy to answer them and address them in future podcasts. Animal Concepts is dedicated to helping you 
care for animals and yourself? Are you interested in quality animal care and welfare content, in actions and resources for you to be well while caring for animals? Then check out PAWS, the practical animal welfare science platform, which has webinars, science into practice case studies, private Facebook live sessions, and a lot of resources for you and the animals you care for. You can share your experiences and connect to animal care professionals and scientists from around the world. In the meantime, take care of you and the animals and keep buzzing.